when Bryce asked me a couple of weeks ago if I could speak today, my mind began racing through a number of passages that I'd been spending some time in over the past several months. But very quickly realized that this is one that I've kind of been just landing on because I think it is so... Uh, and I've spoke about this before in years past. It is so pivotal. And if you're on the front row, you're going to get spit on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It hasn't changed. Um, that light doesn't make it any better. Maybe you don't see it, but I see it. Um, became very, uh, it's become very evident in my life the importance of the need for the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, to to get their life around what this message really today is about because it will, it will transform. People don't believe that God speaks anymore. And He is in a, desires to be in an intimate relationship with us where we hear Him speak to us throughout a day. And I'll share some examples of that in just a little while. So uh, it became very, I uh, realized very quickly that this is what I believe. I truly believe that God desires His children, His followers, to, to get. So if you, as you leave here today, my desire is that you, you have an aha moment, uh, an I get it uh, realization today after uh, seeing what God's Word would say to us. Uh, Ralph uh, Waldo Emerson, you've probably heard this a million times, but there's a lot of truth to this. And so we're talking about uh, his statement was so a thought and you reap an action or an act. You sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character. And Emerson said you reap a destiny. I would probably say you reap a legacy. What you pass on to the next generation, and not just your children, but people that are around you in life. That's not the only people you influence in life. It's the people that you work with. It's the people that you're engaging on a daily. It's the person you're standing with in the Walmart line. You have the opportunity to impact their lives. And I would encourage you to pray as I desire. God, so fill me with your Holy Spirit that when I'm standing in the Walmart line, God, would people around me know that there's something different around them? Not because of me, but because of who you are and the power of Christ. You know, Jesus said, he told his disciples one time when the woman touched him with the hemorrhaging, you know, there was hemorrhaging. He said, somebody touched me. you know, the, the sophomore's like, come on, Jesus. There's a thousand people around us. Of course somebody touched you. No, he says, I sense the power coming out of me. Just think about that. That's how the amazing God that we serve, and he says, well, he lives in us. And he says, greater things will you do because I go to the Father. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now living in us. God's just like got crazy things he wants to do. And do you ever just sense that we're maybe starved and that we're just truly... And this is not a criticism. This is not beating down on us. This is just like, let's just be real and realize that we're probably not getting an ant, the pinpoint of what God wants to do in the lives of His people. Greater things Jesus said that will you do than me because I go to the Father. That just is like, wow. So think about this today. We're going to sow a thought today. And it's really up to, to us to whether we're going to let that be an action. And so we'll, uh, we'll jump in with these thoughts. So I want to pray one more time. Uh, Alistair Begg prays this prayer. And I've since thought about this, and I've added a couple things to it. And um, it's just a really, when I shared this with my, my son, my kids, they just, you know, it's like it speaks so well. So I'm going to pray this for you. And I've added a couple of thoughts to it I think are, are just, as, just as valid as these. Would you just pray one more time with me? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we see not, show us. What we desire not, stir us. And what we are not, 
Oh God, would you make us? We want you, would you ask God right now where you're seated just to make you who he wants you to be? Would you ask him to change you from the inside out because you can't change yourself? And when we do, it's a fail. God, would you change us from the inside out? Amen. This morning, uh, I want to revisit an encounter of a couple of sisters, Martha and Mary, and uh, a visit by Jesus to their home for dinner. First, a little background. We find a house of three siblings, uh, these two sisters, Martha and Mary, and their brother Lazarus. And we encounter them on more than one occasion in the life and ministry of Jesus. Obviously, there's the raising of Lazarus. We're very familiar with that. But there are also several other mini-episodes where Jesus and one or more of these sisters uh, or Lazarus are engaged. And uh, these three are in some way, and I put in quotes, special. These these three are somehow very special to Jesus. And that doesn't mean there's a, you know, he tells us he's not a respecter of persons. So it's not like they're in the, uh, the in club. It's not like that, like Peter, James, and John. But they are another example of, you know, we forget sometimes that Jesus was also fully man, right? And what do people need? They need relationships. And they need close relationships. Uh, Dave Busby, my youth pastor, that means nothing to most of you probably. He's a wonderful guy. He called them garden friends. We all need garden friends, like Peter, James, and John. They're special to us. Well, these three were special to Jesus. Um, and of course, we know that he loves all people. Uh, John goes out of his way in John eleven five 5 to say that Jesus, and uh, now Jesus, and just this one verse, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Well, of course, he loved everybody, but it's just there's something unique about them. I believe it's simply, again, that the man, Jesus, the man holding these three in a special place in his heart. Uh, on the occasion of their brother's death, Jesus weeps in empathy with Mary. It wasn't because Lazarus had died, but because Mary was weeping. She was grieving, and he, he was touched by that. Um, on, at a dinner sometime after the resurrection of Lazarus, Mary is anointing Jesus' feet with uh, perfume and dries his feet with her hair. Um, so, again, there's just this close relationship with uh, these three and Jesus. So would you follow along with me in Luke chapter 10 with uh, this encounter of Jesus with Mary and Martha. Beginning of verse 38. It says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? My, is this my beard scratching that microphone? Sorry. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. We'll come back to that. Verse 41. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I want to just break up Mary and Martha and just talk about each one of them. I'm going to give you four things about Mary or Martha that I think we can learn from on the kind of the negative side of things. And we're going to look at a couple of things in Mary on the positive side of things and kind of mesh these together and, and, and take these home. So the first thing about Martha that we read in this passage is she was distracted. Jesus is in their presence. Martha's not, she's not a bad gal. She's got to get the hospitality. She's, she's the one that welcomes Jesus into their home for dinner. She's the one that's busting her rear end around the kitchen and getting everything going. She's, she loves to serve. She wants to see it done well. And so these are, these are good things. But we find in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. This word distracted 
comes from a, a blend of two words in the Greek. One is around, and the second part is draw. Things from all around you and all around me are mentally drawing me away from the one thing that I need to be focusing on. And this is what this word is talking about. It says he's distracted. Martha had so much going on around her. She lost focus of really the only thing that mattered in the home that evening and forever, for that matter. And I would ask us today and ask myself, what are you distracted by today? What is distracting you today? What is drawing you away from experiencing peace and rest and freedom and joy, abundant life, all these things Jesus said He came to give us and supply for us. What is distracting you today? Drawing you away from the, the sole person in, you know, in existence that offered us all these things. What is, what is right now, what's paramount in your mind right now? What's like, that's the go-to? That's what's consuming my time, thoughts, energy, What's on your mind right now? When you leave here, what are you going to go back to? What are you going to be thinking about? Not that it's a bad thing, but is it supplanting, supplanting Christ and the need to be walking in Him and abiding in Him and listening? And we'll come back to that. When you get up tomorrow, what's it going to be? Consider the possibility of whatever that is being a distraction for you, being a very real and genuine it's getting me away from where I need to be hanging out with Christ and being in His presence. Um, and listen, distraction often leads to a second uh, issue for Martha, and that was she was discontented. And this is not, the word is not in the Scripture, it's not in the passage, but it's obvious by her behavior and her actions that she is very discontented. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Him and she said, got to love Martha. Martha's kind of like a Peter. She's talking to God. <laughs> She's going to come up to God and stand before Him. It's just right off the bat. You know, it's not like a, Jesus, can I ask you a question? You know, can I, can I say something? It's like, Lord, do you not care? You know, like, you should be doing something here, Jesus. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Anybody got the wine and cheese out for her? This is Martha, man. She's like on herself. It's like, okay, she's all frustrated. And then, and then, as if she's just assuming, of course you agree with me. Then, she says, then tell her to help me. Like, kind of giving out some orders here for God to follow that day. Discontented for Martha began when in the midst of all her hurling around and hustling and bustling around the kitchen, she took a moment... Check out her Facebook to make sure she hadn't missed out on anything in the last 10 minutes. Only to find that Mary had posted a pic of her sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to all the things Jesus had to say with all the rest of the guys. And Martha saw that and became very discontented. Discontentment is at its core just simply selfish. It's just all about me. I'm not getting my way. I didn't, I'm not getting enough. I deserve the raise more than they did. I ought to have been picked. I wish I was where she was. I wish I had what he has. I, I want a job like that. I wish I had the money to do that. I want to look like that. And it just goes on. 
and on and on. And it will go on and on and on, day after day and week after week. And worst of all, we learn to live with, even become, if you will, content with discontentment. We think it's the norm. That's the way you live. That's what this is. It's my struggle. That's my burden. <laughs> no, it's not supposed to be that. So I would ask you not to say aloud, please, because that's awkward. But would you say to yourself, content with discontentment? Would you say that with a question mark like, really, in my life? Am I, dis am I content with discontentment? Would you ask yourself that question? And then if in honesty you can say this, say this to yourself as well, I'm not okay with that. I am not okay. I am not going to agree with that. I am not okay with being content with discontentment. It's an ugly place to live. It's a pit to live in. And yet we get so used to it. I'm not okay with that. Content with discontentment. Um, Facebook. Let's talk about that for a second. This is very real. It's part of our life. Social media. Is it a terribly all bad thing? Absolutely not. I love keeping in touch with people. I don't do it a lot, honestly, but I use it to keep in touch with some people that I want to keep in touch with. The rest of you, I could care less. No, dude. <laughs> Actually, it's I couldn't care less, because if you could care less, you could care less. And <laughs> I couldn't care less. That's just my sister and I had that conversation yesterday. People don't typically pop a shot up there for me there. Would you do that? Yeah. Who doesn't want to do that? I love showing that picture. Uh, next. Of course, those are my feet. I want you to know where I'm at. Now, I don't do it with uh, the desire to make you envious or to have lustful thoughts about, you know, not, not, obviously not sexual lust, but just like, I want to be there. Real bad. People don't typically post bad pictures of meals or dirty homes or rainy beach scenes or broken, hurting family episodes or the fight that you had on the way to church this morning, you know? Well, that's not the stuff you see on, on a Facebook, and so, and typically. Unless it's someone's really feeling sorry for themselves, and they want you to feel sorry for them too. Then it's still all about me and being content with discontentment. People always post their best, and this is very important. And we take that, and we process that. We look at the best that they've got, and we process it against our what? Our worst. Or our perceived to be worst. And guess what happens all the time? I'm left discontented because I want that. I, my life always just kind of stinks when I compare it to their best. And the reality is, listen, don't we know it's fake book? It's not their best. It's what they've got in the moment. And that's not a bad thing. But that's not real life, is it? That's, that's not real life. That's a couple times a year, hopefully, one time a year, hopefully for sure. <laughs> Maybe twice if we're lucky. That's not real life. I don't live there all the time, and nor does anybody else. But when we have this mind game we play, that, and when you look at that, and you look at theirs, and you look at that person, and you look at that person's and that friend, and you just keep piling that stuff in, without the filter that we're going to look at in a second, it's just deadly. It's just has a stench of death and discontentment, which is a horrid thing. So what do we do, again, as humans when we see or hear about others having it better better than we do? We default to two things. Envy, 
Okay? Envy, which is defined as to be zealous for the property or positions of others, hoping that you might gain them. Envy. Matthew 27, 18 says, For he knew that because of the envy that, that, had been handed, that they, were, you know, they wanted to, to turn Jesus over and not take Barabbas because he said he knew that in, they'd turned him in because of envy. Those Pharisees wanted the power. They wanted the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the image that Jesus was carrying. They were following him like crazy. They didn't follow me and I want them to follow us. And they were envious of Jesus. The second default that we turn to is lust. That an inordinate desire for something. John in his first letter, in an inordinate desire for something, an unhealthy desire for something. John in his first of three letters refers to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. But talks about lusting of the, the flesh and lusting of the eyes. That, in other words, that insatiable craving for things that appeal to our sin nature and the insatiable desire for, for all that we can see around us and want for ourselves. It's easy to see how discontentment lurks all around us, waiting for an opportunity to click here, to turn here, to look there. May I encourage you and just challenge you to, to take a step back and just ask yourself social media. Social media. Is it all bad? Absolutely not. But is it, I would ask you to ask yourself, is it a significant player in my life that is leading me, leading you to be distracted and discontented? If so, here's a couple, three suggestions. Set it aside. Set it aside. One. Two. Uh, limit it. Limit it. Meaning, I'm going to look at it a couple of times a week for 10 minutes or whatever. Limit. And then third, and, and most importantly, it, regardless, is to approach it prayerfully. You say, that's, not a, that's not a spiritual, that's absolutely a spiritual thing when it's causing discontent in my life. Approach it prayerfully. Um, and I'm going to insert this here now, and that is how to deal with this discontentment thing. I'm going to give you just two simple things, two simple things that are just like put the hammer down on discontentment. Can you think of what they might be? Anybody? If you're discontent, it's a great thing to do what? To be thankful. Just say, God, I thank you. To show gratitude to God and begin to just thank Him. Begin to just thank Him for the things that He has given you in life, the things that you have. Whatever that may be. The things that He is, what He has done in your life. Thank you, God, for, for saving me. Thank you for transferring me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. Begin to thank you. Thank you, thank you for my wife, God. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for help. Thank you for a job. Thank, thank you for work. Just begin to thank Him. And secondly, is praise. Very closely related to gratitude and praise. It's just praise. God, just begin to praise God. I praise you, Father, for who you are. And just praise Him for things that He brings to your mind because the Holy Spirit will bring things to your mind to give, offer and praise to Him. How to deal with discontentment. Martha's third issue, okay, so we've got her distraction, we've got her dis, uh, discontentment, and here third, uh, Jesus says down in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. Worry. Martha worried. Maranao, to have cares in life that trouble you in mind. To be anxious 
is what this word worried means. What did Jesus say about worrying about the things in this life? He said, did he really? He said not to. Maybe I'm not doing that. Why, did, why could he say not worry? Because is it not true that he holds me? That he holds you if you are his child and you're following him? That he loves you? That he cares for you like a healthy father should care for their children and will care for their children? Does that mean life's going to be an easy cakewalk? Absolutely not. But he's not scratching his head surprised and wondering what's coming into my life. COVID-19 has not got God wondering what in the world is going to do with Mark now. You know what I mean? He's so, he's so worried. He's so terrible. You know, am I going to fix COVID-19? <laughs> no. I try not to get it. There. Oh, sorry. Did it fall off? Good. But we can laugh about worry, but I'm telling you, worry kills us, doesn't it? It's just like the total antithesis of trust. By worrying, I'm saying, God, you really aren't going to. Time out. It's good that you can laugh about stupid things. Will you turn it off for just a second? Back. Um, worry. Yeah, it's like saying, God, I don't trust you. It really, this is the opposite of that. And it's just really the antithesis of trust. Is I'm going to have to fix this thing myself. And I can't. And it won't go away. Lastly, with Martha, it says she was bothered. Jesus said, you're worried and bothered about so many things. We don't know what all those other things were, but they were more than just getting the meal prepared. Who knows what? But Jesus knew her heart. Greek word for bothered is really a terbazo. It just sounds good to say, terbazo. A crowd is how it starts to define. The Greek definition of terbazo, when he's talking about being bothered, is a crowd. Tumult, related to noise, uproar, to disturb, stir up. Portland, Oregon is bothered. Really, that's what bothered that Jesus is talking about. That's what it looks like. And he's saying, Martha, that's what's going on in your head. That's what's going on in your heart and mind is chaos over so many things. Sounds tiring, doesn't it? It hurts. Martha, you look like Portland, Oregon on a Saturday night. And he adds, and this is important, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Like you're going to fix all those things. Not one of them are you going to fix. Listen, the enemy of your soul and my soul doesn't just want to cause us to have a bad day. The Word clearly gives us his mission statement that he is here to kill, steal, and destroy. And you realize if it weren't for the grace of God and his power and strength, none of us would be here today if you're a Christ follower. He would have already killed, stolen, and destroyed to get us out of here. We have a sustaining power of God in us that is keeping us. But he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So when he sees you and me becoming, listen, think about this. When he sees you and me becoming worried and bothered, distracted, and discontent, what's he going to do? 
He's just going to keep shoveling it in so that you can be bothered, discontent, distracted, and worried about more things until you're absolutely a mess and hurting and suffering when you've got a heavenly Father that's just saying, just come to me and let me hold you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to work that out. I've got you. Can you see that picture? I hope that's a, a, a sweet picture of our Father. The list of things I don't even need to tell you. Work, finances, health, marriage, kids, pile it on. It can all be worried about, right? You pick it all, it can all be worried about. What are we to do? We need to do what Jesus told Martha to do. And this is where we're going to transition. Take note of how Jesus began his reply to Martha. First off, as we mentioned a minute ago, you notice how Martha approached Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is so gracious and merciful. He could have just said, Hold on, Martha. <laughs> a little respect here. A little uh, think about who you're talking to here. That's not Jesus. He's not worried about Martha thinking all things, thinking all that about him. That's just he's Jesus, and it's so amazing when she says to him all this about you know you don't care, and then tell her to help me. And you realize this is the only time. Unless you know, if you can find another passage, I need you to tell me this because I'm making a statement here. I believe, and I'll say it that way. I believe this is the only time in Scripture where Jesus, first person pronoun, first person uh, proper name, repeats it twice. I don't think it's anywhere else. I'm going to give you another example of a of a city in a minute. But he says, Martha, Martha, to say like Martha, would you just really wait, slow down? Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Just listen. I want you to take this in, Martha. Man, I need to put my name in there. Mark. Mark. You're worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. This is important. I mean, when Jesus says only one thing is necessary, it's like Paul says, and this one thing I do. You know, when you see those just one thing I do, it's like, What? You know, when Paul said all the law boils down to one thing in Galatians, he says that's to love your neighbor as yourself, then that's time to land pretty solid on something. Jesus said one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know, what we don't really get to see is how Martha responded to that. And back to the kitchen. I'd like to think, she kind of did one of these. Wouldn't that be cool? Wish we'd seen that. Wish we'd gotten that, but we didn't. But that's what Jesus tells her. She's chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Something's very powerful and significant taking place with Mary. Martha, distracted, discontented, worried, and bothered. Only one thing's necessary. One thing that you need to be about. The, the meal isn't necessary, Martha. I am. I am necessary. A couple things about Mary, and I kind of bunched, I coupled these together. They're very similar. They're different, but similar. But for the sake of time, I thought, well, I'll jump them together. First of all, she was humble and teachable. Pray for yourself. Ask God to give you a humble heart. Whether you 
think you don't think you're humble, you might think you're humble. Oh, I'm, I'm humble. <laughs> you're not humble. Pray for a humble heart, because man, human nature is not humble. The sin nature is zero humble. It's it's very it's very foundation and core is pride. I'm doing it my way, God. That is what self is all about. Pray that God help God give me a humble heart and give me a teachable spirit. They go together very well. If you're not you know if you're not humble, you're not going to be teachable. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. It's not the first time we'll see her at His feet. Got a call one time years ago, sitting in the office over here. I don't know why. I can't remember why this gal called. I don't even think she visited the church. She might have visited once, but then she called her. I called her probably as a follow-up. She let me know that she didn't need a teacher. She, Jesus is my teacher. I'm like, that sounds so good and so not good. I don't need a teacher. Well, and I, I kind of explained to her very kindly, very graciously. I said, you know, that's not what God's Word tells us. We need to be taught. And so she didn't come back to church. But... We need to be teachable. We need to sit under good teaching. Secondly, and we'll wrap up with these thoughts. Um, I could talk about this for a long time. So I will. <laughs> listening. Mary was listening. Listening to His Word. Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration, just across the page from where you're at, possibly in your Bibles. <clears throat> Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and the cloud disappears, and they see just Jesus now because Moses and Elijah are gone, and there's a voice from within the cloud that says, This is my Son, my Chosen One, and with an exclamation point, and I'll use that to add some uh, power to this, Listen to Him, is what God said. Of all the things that he could have said, this is my son whom I have chosen, my chosen one, he could have said a plethora of things about God in that moment. But his message was simply this, listen to him with an exclamation point. Should that get our attention? Should that get my attention? It should absolutely get my attention that God really just wants us to listen to him. And yet we're, create, we're just plowing through life. How often are we listening to Him? And sometimes we just do things and we wonder, what in the world's going on? Why is this my life a crashing mess? When I haven't taken a moment to listen to Him. We're good. Psalm 81. You don't have this on the wall. It's too long. I don't, I don't think I gave you I didn't give this to you. It's a reference to Israel, and I found it uh, interesting that we took out Israel this morning in our passage uh, and, uh, and put church in there. Because what, what I did was I put Mark, I put my name in the place of Israel. And I listened to Psalm 81, beginning of verse 8, with my name there. Hear, Mark, and I will admonish you. And I would challenge you to put your name when you hear my name. Hear, Mark. And I will admonish you. This is God speaking. Oh, Mark, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who delivered you from darkness. Open your mouth wide, and I'll fill it. These are amazing things God is saying to me. But Mark did not listen to my voice. He did not obey me. One of the saddest things you read in scriptures are the times when it says, And God, so I gave him over to the stubbornness of his heart. 
to walk in his own devices. Oh, that he would listen to me and would walk in my ways. God's crying out to Mark. Oh, that he would listen to me. I would quickly subdue his enemies and turn my hand against his adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would... This is a crazy verse. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him. Wow. That's that's, that's an in-your-face thought. That to, to pretend obedience to God is really hating God. That's... That's powerful. It's very, so, it's very sobering. And their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you, Mark, with the finest of the wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. And all this is hinging upon, did you listen to me? Did you listen to me? Listen, the word, listening is kind of odd. When you think first, how does God, He just speaks to our heart. The other day, it's, it's like this. Lee and, and Taylor and I have a habit of walking the dogs around the, the block thing. So as we're pulling out, I look over here to the, down the street here, and this poor fella is on a bicycle. Well, I can tell there's a bicycle laying down on the ground, and there's a pile of something. This is like, you know, from here to, I don't know, this other parking lot. So I just look down the street there, you know, 100 yards, and I see this bicycle laying over, and this guy with a pile of stuff on the ground. And then I realize he stands his bike up, and I don't even know if you can visualize. I had have taken a picture to show you how lovely this was, but he had this, this bike that was kind of, we had a wagon, number one, he was trying to tow about a, literally 150 pounds of shingles in. And the wheels on the, the axle wheels, you know, like, how can I say that? They just went, they just crushed under that weight of these shingles on his little wagon trailer he was pulling on. He was like dragging it along on his bicycle. He gave up on that. And so there's just a pile of stuff here on the ground. So, you know, guess what God does in that moment? He speaks. He says, simply just go help. Just go help. So I told Lee and Taylor to run on. I walked over there and inside of my going, you're ambitious. I just said that, I didn't say that out loud. I just said, golly, I think I'm crazy. How in the world? So what he does here, he's got this bicycle. He's got an arm attached to where the handlebar bar comes down. He's got this bar that comes out here that's on a swing thing here that comes back. And he was just resting it across his crossbar, the center bar. So he's forming like a little triangle here. He starts piling the 150 pounds of shingles, holding the bike here. I don't even know what he was doing. But he was trying to pile all the shingles on top of this little triangle thing on the bike. He couldn't even have pedaled. I mean, he just started hitting his knee. What do you do? So I said, hey, listen, wait right here. Let me go get my vehicle. We'll load them in and take them where you need to. It's just listening. It's all it is. Just show up. Just listen to what God tells you to do and show up. And so, this is totally a side note, but while we're, I'm helping him, man, I could have, I could have, I wouldn't slap these ladies, but these two ladies come outside. What are you doing? I'm like, we're just picking up shingles over here in the road. <laughs> no, so it's like, what are you doing? That just... I'm like a floor. Like, I wanted to say something unkind to them, but I didn't. So I help these guys and take them back. And in my mind, I'm wanting to say something about the love of Jesus to them. And you know what? That never happened. When I got to the house that they were actually going to put these shingles on, it was just a, it was just like chaos and guys talking and yelling back and forth. And I tried to put something in there, but you know what? It's okay. You listen and you obey. Um, I'm up on the house painting last week and um, all kinds of people 
come through this area that I'm working in that are people that have been on my heart for a long time and now God's put me right in the middle of them. And I'm listening to them all day long. And I'm praying for them all day long. And the other day I think God spoke and I did not obey. Straight up, just telling you. I was up on the roof. I was painting. It wasn't that I probably didn't... I mean, this one woman, bless her heart, she knows scream and profane, profanity. That's all she knows. That's her, that's her engagement level. And it's like... Everything was an F and this. I mean, everything. Him, the car, the job, the everything. She's yelling to him. He's yelling at her. I mean, it's like there's no filters. It's just like, because the car wasn't starting. She was going to lose her job. And God spoke and said, go see if you can help them. Just go see if you can help them get their car started. And I didn't. And I've seen them since. And I think and I hope that if God will speak and the next time the car doesn't start, because it's a normal thing, I can go see what I can do and, and maybe just love on them for Jesus. Again, listening. Just listening. Talking to somebody the other day. They're sharing with me their hurt. Their four and a half year live-in is leaving them and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and it's an opportunity to share the gospel, just to share the love of Christ with an individual because God leads in that moment. So it's really not a lot of hard work. It's just listening. Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father do, right? So Jesus wasn't worried about whatever he was going to go. In fact, when you read Scripture, the more I'm reading Scripture, like he says, let's go somewhere else. I'm thinking, somewhere else? Jesus, you're not, you can't be living life just going somewhere else. You've got to have an agenda. You've got to have a place to be. And yet he was just living life and listening to the Father. What does Jesus tell us about his yoke and about his burden? Easy and light. That sound like hard work and killing me and dragging me down and burning me out? Doesn't sound that way to me at all. Sounds easy and light because just listen. Just be listening. Stop worrying about your life. He's got it. That sounds so cliche, so simple, so so dead of heart. Idiotic. Denial out of your mind. That's what he's calling us to do. Stop worrying about your life and trust him. But isn't that what we ask our, you know what we ask our children to do sometimes? We ask them to do things that at that time seemed to make no sense to them whatsoever. Get back in the car. Everybody get back in the car. And they're thinking, we just got out of the car. Well, you see the dog, the 100-pound dog with its hair raised up on its back making the way right for your car, you know, like who knows what it's going to do. And so you tell the kids to get back in the car. They don't know what's going on. Getting back in the car for some may look like stepping down from pastoring a church to take take a job, to lose a job. You can either allow it to make you distracted, discontented, worrisome, bothered person, or or you can trust that the same good, good father who has led you from a childhood decision to, to believe all the way along is still never changing good, good father who will lead on through life and into his presence one day. Only one thing is needed. Sit at his feet and listen. One other time, Jesus making an appeal 
repeated a personal or a, a first person. It's talking about Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, oh Jerusalem, and just the compassion, the compassion. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it by a good, good father. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under his wings. That's what he wants to do with you and me. I mean, we don't have to worry. You don't have to be bothered. There don't have to be no distraction, no discontentment. And these sad words, but you were not willing. With an exclamation point, but you were not willing. And then this sad last line, it's a sad line to end on, but it is truly where we're going to be if we do not learn to listen. See, your house is left to you desolate. I don't want to live desolate. I want to live in freedom and joy and peace and rest and an abundant life. God, help me learn to listen, to humble myself as Mary did and sit at your feet and listen. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you for your word, God, that we need to absorb. We need to sow this thought into an action. God, and start listening. And God, we may stumble and fumble. You, you'll help us. You say, my sheep, they know my voice. They hear my voice. And learn to listen and learn to and, do, and obey what you tell us to do, God. And then that habit of listening will develop. And then that habit of listening will develop character. And that character will pass on a legacy. God, thank you for your word to us today. Um, chase after us, God. We give you permission to do that. You're a gentleman, God, but we ask you to stay after us. Bring these thoughts back to our minds, back to our hearts, by your powerful and precious Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're going to close with a song.